Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Cotton Story, sponsored by E3 Sustainable Cotton. I'm Jennifer Crumpler, Fiber Development Manager and Manager of the E3 Sustainable Cotton Program from BASF and host of today's program. I'm also joined by industry consultant Bob Andeshak. So, Bob, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Jennifer. Uh, end of a very busy day, I know, for you, too. Yes, very busy day, but a good day. Um, and, you know, what a great way and um, good way to end the day, I guess, by being able to um, introduce today's guest um, for the podcast and really excited to um, have him here today because I've heard a lot about him, but I'm really excited to have the opportunity to um, chat with him. So today's guest, Steve Lamar, is president and CEO of American Apparel and Footwear Association. So, Steve, thanks so much for joining us and being here today. Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks for uh, having me on the show. It's great to meet you, and it's great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Steve, um, I know you've had a well-established and, you know, influential career in D.C. You've worked in trade policy for many years. Um, definitely an expert in global textile and apparel trade policy, government relations. Um, you're currently the head of a major apparel and footwear organization in D.C., and we're going to get into some of that and maybe all the updates and latest and greatest coming out of there and um, on international trade. But before we do that, we always love to start the show with a little bit of background. So our listeners know kind of where you're coming from, your experience in the industry. So would love to just see if you would just tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Thanks. So um, I've been with the American Apparel and Footwear Association for almost a quarter century. Uh, I've been president and CEO of a fantastic team for the past two years, uh, started just before the, the pandemic. Uh, and be before that, I headed up our policy department uh, starting um, in the late 90s. Uh, before I joined AAFA, I spent about 15 years in a variety of um, trade, public policy and development roles um, in Washington, D.C., but started that actually as a Peace Corps volunteer. I was a math teacher in uh, Southern Africa in a country called huh. Botswana. Hmm. Really interesting. Thanks. That's really interesting from the Peace Corps math teacher to um, apparel and footwear. Okay, that's, that's a little bit of a jump. <laughs> well, it's a little bit of a jump, but if you, if you realize that, you know, the apparel industry um, is kind of on the cusp of development really around the world and, you know, also in the United States, but also in the, around the world. And um, there's a lot of, a lot of the industry is in Africa, um, Southern Africa, East Africa, West Africa. So um, some of the lessons I learned as a Peace Corps volunteer um, I'm able to apply to what I do right now. And in fact, I draw very heavily on my time in Africa, yeah. dealing with African um, trade policies. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Steve, we've known each other for a long time. And uh, I have to congratulate you on your leadership at AFA. You came in at a particularly tough time, <laughs> to put it mildly, with the pandemic and just changing the business in general. Um, also, I have to uh, commend you on your talents as a writer. Uh, you still write for The Hill? Um, not You're for The Hill. I haven't done anything for The Hill recently, but yeah, we write a lot. A lot of different yeah. publications, for sure. Yeah, yeah, because you, you, you've always been terrific and all of that. Um, Thanks. Lots and lots of rumors floating around about CAFTA, Rules of Origin, um, Yarn Forward, all that sort of stuff. Is there Have there been any changes that you could 
bring us up on? Um, thanks, Bob. Well, you know, we, we've been delighted to see um, more textile investment in the region um, that's, that's been announced, you know, just in the last couple of weeks and months. And certainly we hope they can see more. Um, that's what we've actually launched something called the Coalition for Economic Partnership um, in the Americas. This is a multi-stakeholder group that's um, designed to promote more investment um, and also the policy needs to attract more trade investment to the region. You know, CAFTA-DR, as good as it is, you know, may not be structured to attract the kind of trade investment that we need. And so if there's some faults, we'd like to see whether we can kind of correct that. One of the things that we notice is that, you know, apparel imports from CAFTA-DR hit their high watermark in 2004. That was actually two years before the agreement took effect and they've stagnated since then. So the agreement's laboring under rules of origin. You mentioned those um, for the past two decades. Um, they're very old and they're, based on actually a model that, that goes back to the early 90s. So what we're hoping to do is really bring all the stakeholders together, you know, from the region, textile, manufacturers, labor, um, together and assess, and I mean really assess what's needed to keep this um, region equipped for growth um, in the 2020s and beyond. So, you know, talking about bringing them together and um, that investment piece of it, Steve, and just kind of as a follow-up to that um, and around trade and, you know, everybody today, we've had a couple of people on the show. We've talked about some of our economists looking at cotton and what's happening in the cotton world. Um, and we know the past two years, it's been um, COVID. Yes, it's been interesting, but there's been a lot of other stuff that's happened and it's really affected cotton and the business today and what's happening. Um, so I would love to hear how you feel that, you know, the administration or even DC is handling um, what's happened with cotton, you know, coming out of China with forced labor and some of those issues. Yeah. So, you know, there's a, there's been a lot of um, very deep concerns about um, forced labor in the cotton fields, cotton industry um, in China and particularly in Xinjiang, of course, um, customs has um, published a number of withhold release orders uh, where they've um, banned um, certain kinds of um, cotton products, cotton materials coming in um, with sort of increasing severity over the last 18 months. And then um, Congress just passed and the president just signed in a law um, legislation that, uh, that, that tightens that even further. You know, our, our members have been on the front lines of efforts to make sure forced labor doesn't tan our supply chains. And, and that efforts, those efforts, um, those frontline efforts are gonna continue. They're even gonna accelerate I'd say as members are constantly looking for the best technologies and practices to stay one step ahead of those intent upon, you know, profiting off of forced labor. Uh, this legislation that Congress recently passed, um, we were advocating in favor of it. We welcomed it. Uh, and we think it's a way to provide a, a valuable course correction for the approach that um, CBP had been using, um, which, you know, really to make sure that we are effectively targeting the bad actors um, that there are clear evidentiary standards so we can make sure that the bad stuff does get excluded, but the good stuff, the stuff that's lawful, the stuff that's compliant, you know, goods that are, that are um, made in a way that they, they are not tainted with forced labor, they're allowed to be imported, um, and that there's a process to treat trusted traders like partners. Um, and this is, again, an area that really involves all stakeholders. You know, we constantly talk about a whole of government approach um, frankly, there's really a need for a whole of world approach. You know, this is an 
area where the U.S. can't go it alone or the U.S. can't be out of alignment mm -hmm. with, with other countries. We really need to be working together on this. Do you see that very similar? So we know New York just introduced the Fashion Act um, where, you know, they're, they're talking about more of this transparency in supply chains and all. Do you see this kind of being a first step from a state level um, and maybe taking some um, feeding off what you're talking about, just further current administration signing into law? Do you think that others will kind of follow this? Um, are you guys watching this pretty closely with the organization as well? Yeah, there's, you know, th this is really a big priority to to make sure that, you know, ESG is at the leading edge of, of everything we do. Um, and, you know, whether that's, you know, climate change, whether that's um, social responsibility, um, labor rights, human rights. I mean, that's that that's been the case for a long time and will continue to be the case. And one of the big um, priorities right now is to make sure that, um, you know, the industry is aligned together. So you've got, you know, a lot of different initiatives that are out there all doing great things, but you really want them to be kind of kind of all working towards the same um, the same goals, um, you know, create opportunities for um, folks that are further along on their journeys to to be mentors for for companies that are that are not as far along um, to make sure that, you know, all companies, both big and small, um, working towards the same outcome and that it's it really is the product of a process that has involved all stakeholders. Again, I, I, I can't stress enough the importance of getting mm -hmm. all stakeholders involved in these conversations to make sure that they all have input, they have perspective, that what comes out as practical is is achievable. Um, and when we when we all kind of come together and focus on it that way, um, there, there's really no obstacle to, or no no limit to what we can get done. So you see sort of like a, more of a coalition approach, all, all stakeholders sitting around a table and try, trying to figure out these kinds of answers to these problems? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cause it's, you know, if you, I mean, you really look at kind of any of the issues that we're working on, on, you know, these days it's, you know, environmental issues, labor rights issues, um, supply chain issues, you know, every single one of those. And there's, there's many individuals involved across many countries and, at, you know, at different levels, different regions. And, and sometimes they don't even know, you know, somebody else in the supply chain, but, um, but they, they can't get anything accomplished unless they're all working together. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a saying um, that says that um, if we want to go quickly, we go alone, but if we want to go far, we go together. And I think that applies in a, yeah, lot, of the, a lot of the issues that we work on here. Well, you gave me the perfect segue to ask you about supply chains. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, it's been a mess, uh, to put it mildly. Uh, over the last what year, eighteen months or so, and uh, will this ever stop? Um, what's your take on it? Well, well, it's. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope it will stop. But you're right; it's a hot mess, um, and it's been going on for a while. Um, you know, we look. We've been very pleased to see the president has um, shined a, a bright spotlight on the issue. You know, when when you see the president talking about um, supply chain issues from the Oval Office and and bringing together, uh, you know, different groups of people to come in and, and sort of hammer out solutions. I mean, that's, that's probably both a success and a failure. It's a failure because something like this shouldn't have to rise to the president's level. Um, but we're glad, we're glad that when it became clear it was a crisis that the president embraced it and has, 
has talked about it a lot. Now that was certainly kind of in the run up to the to the holidays, and and we've warned the administration that you know this you know this this hasn't been solved. You know it's 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 way too early to helicopter out to one of those hundred ships that are queuing up to get into San Pedro Bay and hang a mission accomplished sign, right? <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. Look, ships are still backed up, containers are still stacked up, freight costs and port fees are still going up. Um, you know, and Omicron is currently making the, um, the situation more dire, um, both with labor scarcity as well as foreign factory and, and port closures, and, and this is gonna lead to further backups. And then on top of all of that, we have this West Coast labor contract that expires mm-hmm. um, July 1st. And, you know, look, we, we have several basic messages here, and they're very similar to what we were saying um, last year as well. You know, first, we've got to stay focused with all the stakeholders, again, all the stakeholders at the table so we can handle that, you know, the current, but also kind of prevent these future crises, including the, the upcoming port labor talks. You know, every time these labor talks have, have resulted in a contract expiration. It's been highly disruptive. Um, that's in the best of times, and we're not even in the best of times. Um, second, because um, it, it could take so long to unwind these jams, you know, we need to find ways of directing relief to the industry so they can stay in business. Um, and some of these are companies, small businesses that are navigating, you know, freight costs that are you know, seven, eight, ten times more expensive than what they planned for, what they budgeted, or what, what even makes them profitable. Um, we've actually suggested, you know, using tariff relief as a tool to um, try and direct some some cash flow and some resources back to companies. Um, and then a third one is there's legislation that's pending. I'm going to give a plug for it: the Ocean Shipping Reform Act. Um, this will provide a lot more oversight and regulation um, onto um, um, the, the shipping industry. They picked a heck of a time to consolidate, right? Right, right, exactly. <laughs> it's never, never a good time for consolidation, and this was a heck of a time for it. Um, but look, there, there, there needs to be some some attention to these runaway fees and and charges um, that are being levied on on the companies that can least afford to pay them. And what happens is, whether it's you know the tariffs or whether it's these extra costs, all of that becomes inflationary pressure when you add that to. Um, supply chain um, um, shortages, you know, goods not being on the shelves, all mm-hmm. that becomes inflationary pressure. And, you know, those are inflations dominating the headlines right now. And so the administration's looking for ways to pull inflation out of the system. We keep putting supply chain relief as, as one of the easiest ways to do, well, not easiest, as one of the most obvious ways to do that, both directing relief as well as untangling these supply chains and preventing them from getting wound up again in the future. How about soaring demand? That's a real issue. That's a good and a bad. I well, mean, soaring demand is always a good issue. Um, sure. We, we always want, we always, you know, we're, we're a demand-driven, a consumer-driven economy. And, you know, when, when consumers are, are, are out and about, particularly after COVID, you know, that's, that's something that we've wanted to happen. And we should be, we should be really, um, you know, eager to see that continue to occur. I think one of the problems that we've experienced is, you know, that soaring demand when it has encountered the infrastructure system. And I would say that we have a very effective infrastructure system, but not a very efficient one, right? Um, You know, (laughs) when the president announced that ports were going to be going 24-7 and not all of them actually did that, um, 
you know, frankly, I heard from a lot of people. I thought ports already were twenty four seven. You know, aren't foreign ports twenty four seven? Yes. Yeah. Don't yeah. don't ships run twenty four seven? Yes. But our ports, they keep bankers' hours. I mean, heck, even our bankers yeah. don't keep bankers' hours, right? And and you know, but the ports for some reason they're still they're That's still they're, they're still That's on this true, limited thing. And, and we we can't be a modern economy and still have those vestiges from. Um, you know, from the way our infrastructure and logistics systems worked. And again, that's one of the reasons why we were so pleased to see the infrastructure bill pass. That's going to lead to some modernization, some updating, but that's going to take a while before that begins to have an impact. Yeah. And, you know, um, when we, you talked about a couple of those issues that were coming up and, you know, Steve, you do head up an important association in the industry and you know, I'd really like to know from your standpoint and for our listeners, um, what do you see? Um, you mentioned some, but are there any other challenges facing the industry going forward? Um, and, you know, the industry's changing. Um, and, you know, what are some of those things that, you know, seem to keep you up at night as you try to establish some policy or things going forward? Because I feel like we're in an unprecedented time that it's really hard to look back and say, yep. This, this, you know, this is kind of a repeat of X, Y, Z, but, you know, what do you think are going to be some of those even further coming forward to look at? Well, you know, thanks, Jennifer. You know, I, I, I'd answer this partly as the head of a great association, but also partly as a grandfather. You know, what keeps me up at night is climate change. Um, mm -hmm. This industry is going to continue. We talked a little bit about this is going to you know, continue to align around and and push forward on science based targets is part of a broader push on ESG and sustainability needs to be um, a huge industry-wide push. And, you know, I think we would need to do a better job of aligning our diverse perspectives and all these different initiatives that are out there. Um, we saw in COP26, you know, much more needs to be done now, not soon, but now um, to protect our planet. Um, you know, and, you know, one of the, one of the great things is there's already, you know, many sustainability leaders in our industry, some, some phenomenal, um, work that's being done, but it's essential that all that work gets put together and is is aligned and is done so in a way where it's pre-competitive, you know, to ensure that we meet our our role um, in in you know addressing these climate change targets. Um, so again, that that's probably the the number one thing I think I'm looking at right now. You know, when I look back over the pandemic, um, I think of the pandemic as a as a health and economic crisis that affected everybody on the planet. And boy, if you want to look at another health and economic crisis that affects everybody on the planet, climate change. Mm. That's for sure. Uh, which, which brings me to ask the question about supply chains, health of the planet, our environment. Um, uh, do you see opportunities for nearshoring? or reshoring, having some legs over the long term? Or yeah. is that a short-term thing? Um, I, I think they're real. And, and, and let me let me just take a moment here to tell you that I, I dislike to use the term reshoring. Um, you know, when we talk about Made in America, um, and there's actually a Made in America trend that, that um, at AFA we've been um, tracking for more than 10 years, and, and it is accelerating. Um, when we talk about this, we use the term new shoring. New shoring, um, that's new, cool. New I, remember that. I remember that. Yeah, okay. and, and here's why. Because what, what left is not coming back. But what is emerging here represents, you know, new technologies, new thinking, and new dynamics, hence new shoring. 
Um, but, um, you know, whether we're talking about new shoring or near shoring, and again, we've talked about that at the beginning about the, you know, um, the growing demand for, for um, more um, trade and investment in Central America, it has to be because there is a business case that supports it. You know, if your business model is to take advantage of temporary supply chain disruptions, uh, you know, for example, um, you know, your, your success most likely will be short-lived. If, if, if you're saying, I'm going to be doing more production in the United States because of all the problems on the West Coast and the ports and everything else, I don't know that that's a long-term proposition. But if your business model is based on the growth of, you know, e-commerce, for example, which is, which is here to stay, proximity to the market, you know, popularity of U.S. made goods in foreign countries, which is a huge thing we never talk about, um, or uh, sustainability. Well yeah. yeah, or, or yeah. sustainability, you know, and, and this is an important thing, and you're able to translate those concepts, those models into policies that support your operations, um, then we could see a lot more growth in the U.S. or Central America. And I think, I, I'm really very bullish on this. I think we're going we're gonna to see a resurgence both in, in the United States um, as well as a resurgence in um, Central America. But we need to make sure the policies are right um, and the policies need to be forward looking. I mean, we can't go back and look at kind of what we did in the past. That often doesn't succeed. I think we need to kind of have an eye on the future. So, um, Steve, I've got to ask you one question because you mentioned about that forward thinking and the forward space of it. And we talked some about it. What do you think, um, you know, and you mentioned some about with the trade and all. One thing I've noticed, and this is kind of, I say, an outsider coming in. I think I'm still an outsider two years looking in. So I'm going to ride the new, I'm going to pull my new card as much as I can um, <laughs> in this space in textiles. But, you know, when we look from a grower and ag standpoint and some of our products that we have and, you know, labeling and things that can go on labeling and, and what we can do, anything can kind of be there. Do you see, you know, some conversations starting to take place and change um, around some of the labeling stuff? And so something, um, you know, just making a claim of, yep, it's, you know, made with organic cotton or made with, you know, this type of stuff. Do you see any of those policies or anything starting to change in that standpoint where, you know, it's getting more transparency of labeling and, you know, what's happening, where it's being made, where it's being done, some of that piece of it on the horizon? Yeah. And, and Jennifer, I think we should all have a new card that we get to play from time to time because. Right. Yeah. I'm really good at you know, acting that way. <laughs> well, I think, I think long-term perspective is important, but fresh perspective is always important. And, and, and we, we need to constantly be, you know, challenging ourselves, you know, just because something didn't work um, five years ago, or 10 years ago, maybe it'll work now. And, and, you know, so I, I really do. I, I like the way you, you, you talked about that. So I'm going to um, make sure I get my new card out and dust it off. And, and <laughs> do it easy. I've got all kinds of those. Don't you worry. <laughs> present that from time to time. So, but, you know, look, I think there's actually a lot of exciting stuff that's going to happen on labeling. Um, you know, it, it, it really kind of, there's, there's sort of a, um, an intersection of a lot of, a lot of really, important things, a lot of really cool things that are happening. Um, one of which is the, um, the, the demands. And again, demands, people say, oh, this is your consumer. No, consumer demands, um, demands that are organic, that are coming from within the company, um, either the C-suite or, or folks really throughout the supply chain, through the, the companies or the supply chains. But 
so many more demands to be um, have much more traceable supply chains and much more transparent supply chains. So not only are you pushing back further into your supply chains, places that um, you'd never really push back with that level of detail before, um, but you're putting more and more of that information um, in the public domain or putting more and more of that information in a way that your stakeholders have access to it. So that's a lot of information that needs to be managed and handled both um, through the normal operation of a supply chain, but then also in a way that's consumer facing. Um, so they can make, you know, judgments, value judgments, you know, purchasing decisions um, based on the information um, that they're receiving. And so that regulators, for example, can look at that information and decide, you know, is this a, is this a truthful statement or does this meet the various regulatory requirements that exist out there? One of the areas that we're uh, putting a lot of energy in, and this kind of brings in another exciting thing, is if you look back over the pandemic, um, one of the things that you've seen is consumers interact with their with their technology and their fashion a lot more. You know, whether it's e-commerce, whether they're um, whether they're showing their clothing on you know uh, social media, what, whatever it might be, but the mm -hmm. the interaction between consumers and and iPhones is more. Um, access for over the internet is greater, although it can be much, much greater. Um, and the, um, the explosion of, of digital technologies, you know, QR codes and things of that sort that either older technologies or kind of renewed technologies that people have. And one of the things that we'd like to do is, um, and, and you can do this now, but you can't do just this. And that is to replace that big bulky label that you have on your collar or your waist that, that provides the regulatory information and other information that you might have and to um, create a digital access point. Basically, a, think of it as a QR code, for example, although mm -hmm. not to be focused on one specific piece of technology. And, and, then, um, and then basically upload all that information to the cloud. You know, upload that big phone book that you, you know, have on your, your collar to the cloud. And what you can end up doing is give consumers more information, make it more accessible, make it more sustainable. You know, the amount of label tape that you need to have to produce all the garments. I think it stretches around the earth like 13 times. If we oh, can wow. remove all of that mm. from these supply chains, give, give consumers a lot more information. And then you no longer have a label that has to be cut out because it's scratchy or too bulky or too big. Um, now uh, you have a label that's basically information that stays with the garment. So as it becomes repurposed to the second or third or fourth consumer, um, they still have access to that information. I mean, it's it's a really phenomenal way to do that. And you can hear the dogs in the background of agree. Yeah, there you they go. They agree. They totally agree with you. They agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. So um, but anyway, yeah. But so it's this is a phenomenal a phenomenal thing that we're that we're looking at doing, and we actually think the the. As I said, the technology is there right now to do this, but unfortunately, to do it, you still have to have that big bulky label as well. And if we could, if we could have it so you just could use the digital solution, um, and it could live with the garment forever, now you can also cut back on. And Bob, I think you and I have talked about this for twenty years. Is 
um, harmonization. So, yes. you know, the Japanese have one requirement, the Europeans have a requirement, in Canada they have a requirement, in Mexico and the U.S. That's five different labels, five different languages, five different requirements. Yeah. Um, actually, more than five different languages. But if you can 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 th um, thread all that information through um, a digital source, an iPhone or a you know a, a smartphone of some sort, now the the technology in the phone can translate that into the language where you need it it can make sure that if you're sight impaired you actually can hear an audio version of it give you access to information that's not required by regulations it really opens up um the 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 fashion um traceability uh transparency um opportunities to a whole new level and we're really excited about that Super well, that's cool. exciting. Um, and, you know, Steve, I probably could ask you a, a thousand more questions, but I know we are about out of time. Um, but if any of our listeners would love to connect or learn more about all the exciting things to come, what is the best way for them to do that? Um, best way for them is to um, go to our website, um, afaglobal.org, just to find, um, you know, we have a wealth of information on there on all of our strategic um um, pillars, you know, we've got uh, brand protection, supply chain and um, sourcing, and then trade logistics and manufacturing. Um, you know, they can get involved. Um, if they're a current member, they can get involved. Obviously, if they're a future member, then we can, they can learn how they can become a member and get involved. And, uh, and, you know, really learn about some of our dynamic, you know, educational um, and advocacy uh, and thought leadership opportunities. Well, awesome. Well, again, I appreciate you coming on and Bob appreciate um, so much you being on as well. And so um, I'd also like to thank you, our listeners, for joining us and hope you enjoyed our show. Should you have any questions about the E3 Sustainable Cotton Program, please email me at E3Cotton at BASF.com. Also, please visit us on Instagram and Facebook at E3 Sustainable Cotton. Thanks so much and see you next time.